Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist, and I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm speaking to Dr. Chloe Bedford, who is a registered counselling psychologist and also known to many of us as the running psychologist on Instagram. Chloe has over 10 years experience of working in the National Health Service in the UK with adults, children, adolescents and their families. And much of her work today involves working with teens and children with eating disorders. Chloe draws on cognitive behaviour therapy and psychodynamic models. And she is also a strong advocate for self-compassion. So you may have seen Chloe's encouraging posts on social media with messages about all aspects of mental health, with particular emphasis on post-baby body, running after having a baby, body image and managing exercise in a healthy way. So I'm really looking forward to talking to Chloe today to explore supporting children with eating disorders as this is a very different approach from my work with adults and also to understand her thoughts and how we can manage body image and exercise, particularly as a mum and with the pressures to shrink back down after birth. Let's get to the interview. Hi, Chloe, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi. So, Chloe, could you just tell us a little bit more about yourself, please, and, and introduce yourself to the listeners? Yep. So I am a counselling psychologist and I work with children and adolescents and have done probably for nearly 10 years now. I became a psychologist probably because I'm quite nosy and I'm quite interested in people. I'm really interested in people's stories. And through that, and I guess I kind of ended up working with children because I was pretty much a child at the start. And I just think it's so important to kind of think about how we think about our children and support because they're going to grow up and be adults and so helping them when they're young and stopping kind of trying to sort of intervene early and stopping any of those problems becoming bigger I think is really important and so I guess that's kind of a little bit about my my kind of clinical work and and so for a long time I've also worked I've worked with children and adolescents in eating disorders and again, I think it's that early intervention is so important. And if you can intervene with young people before the eating disorders sort of take root, actually the outcomes are much better and they're less likely to kind of take those eating disorders on into adulthood or not to maybe the same extreme. So I think kind of that early intervention is really essential. So I guess that's kind of the sort of psychology side and then I suppose you know me through through Instagram and my account as the running psychologist and I set up that account after having my daughter and I kind of felt that there was there needed to be a place where we could sort of talk about mental health and running and alongside that I think a lot of the body image issues that so many women have after they've had a baby um, or just in general and, and kind of how that can kind of be quite preventative into getting them into sport. And we know that sport can be so good for people's mental health, but that worrying about what you look like in, in a sports bra or in shorts or whatever can stop people from getting out there. So I guess that was kind of a little bit of a motivation behind that. So I guess that's me in a nutshell. Okay, now lovely, Chloe. And Chloe, the work you do at the moment as a psychologist, do you still work for the NHS or are you doing private work or a mixture? So I've been totally private since February. 
Okay, sure. Yeah, okay. And I think just really sort of picking up on what you were saying about trying to intervene early and give children support, that early intervention, and particularly with eating disorders, I'm so much in agreement with you because I think obviously with a, as a child as well, you're much more open, aren't you, with your, in terms of your your brain's more malleable. You know, there's much more opportunity maybe to kind of to make changes and to be set on a different trajectory for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I think when you're a child as well, I mean, the main difference I find because I, I kind of now work across the the lifespan a bit more when you're a child you you have your parents at home and so getting them on board it's much easier to have other people on board and to support you with your eating and to support you kind of with your meal plan and at meal times whereas often with adults you can hide the eating disorder a lot more so therefore it's much later before you can get support and also you regain a lot of the you you keep a lot of the control around your eating and I use a model called family-based treatment that's very much about empowering the parents to take control of the eating so that you can kind of get that food in get the weight up and so that the young person is at a point where their cognitions are a bit more flexible and a bit more able to sort of be changed in terms of helping them to challenge the eating disorder a bit more and I think when you work with adults it's that bit harder to kind of do that that work yeah and it's so true isn't it because I guess as well so much of the adult model and I guess you know helpfully in many ways but it's much more sort of motivational way Mm. of working so yeah, you're kind of encouraging that person to kind of step forward and make those decisions themselves sometimes, mm-hmm. obviously with support. But obviously, if you've got a very starved brain, sometimes it's very, very hard, isn't it, to make those decisions and to let go yeah. of that control. And I think in a way, kind of by being able to work in that way, it helps to prevent and reduce inpatient admissions. So you don't need that kind of hospital environment because what you want is for parents to be able to recreate that hospital environment at home. And we all know that hospital admissions can be really quite traumatic. And yeah, for lots of people, nobody really wants to go into hospital. So yeah, it's about kind of getting the young person to that place where they're able to kind of make the decisions themselves and kind of, yeah, and I'm kind of working in that way. And I think... And I think if you're able to turn things around quickly when somebody is younger, then the problem is less likely to be chronic. Mm -hmm. It's it's certainly my experience. Mm, Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Because I think, you know, particularly with something like an eating disorder, once you've lived with it for a while, it can become like a habit, can become part of identity, it can become so Mm. safe. Yeah, and it's harder and harder almost like the longer you live with it, the harder it is to sort of let go of it. Yeah, yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah. And and I yeah, and I mean I so agree with it kind of becoming part of your identity. And I think a lot of the work is about kind of trying to to kind of untangle that as well. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Chloe, one thing I'm quite interested in as well is like obviously with the kind of age range you're working with, family are much more involved, you know giving that support and structure and you know people are really sort of being encouraged to eat the family are taking control of the eating then obviously when someone goes into adult services you know it's a very different approach doesn't quite you know one extreme to the other and I think that's quite Mm. confusing for families as well sometimes 
Do you have a sense of like with the people that you work with, is there kind of an age limit where you feel the motivational way, the kind of adult way starts to have be a bit more sort of preferable? And I guess I'm asking that realising, I guess it really depends on the individual and how quickly they mature. But I know I've had a couple of people that have, you know, just contacted me recently that have got sort of like 15, 16 year olds. And that kind of really more family-based therapy approach has has felt quite intense for them, but then almost like Mm. standing back and trying to be motivational feels so hands-off. So I just wonder Mm. what your thoughts were around that. Um, It's interesting, isn't it? And I think, I mean, I guess one of the nice things about being in private practice is you can make the sort of decision as to where that young person is at and what what would be the best approach, because you're right. I think there are lots of young people out there and actually the family-based approach doesn't work for them and I mean I also work using CBTE and Mm -hmm. and that would be kind of the the, the approach that I'd be thinking about as as well but I mean I think you're right I mean I think you can have really young 25 year olds and really mature 15 year olds and and so you'd be sort of and as part of the assessment and I think I mean I tend to work kind of quite flexibly and using a mix of the two approaches as to kind of where it feels appropriate to kind of start to hand back some of that control and and kind of, yeah, kind of merging the two almost in, in terms of what's most most helpful. And I think, I, mean, I think, yeah, you have to be kind of quite careful in, in how you you do it as well and quite cautious because what you don't want is well I mean sometimes at the start it helps to be the most hated woman in the entire world um, <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> and that that evil woman that's making me do all of these things that I don't want to do but you also have to be able to kind of maintain that therapeutic relationship and if something isn't working it's about kind of okay well how do we do this differently what what is going to work for you and is it about kind of taking that slightly different approach and offering that individual space sometimes it's about being able to do both and kind of knowing Mm. when when to use what approach and where and obviously I mean in a really really ideal world you'd be kind of working with more than one person and being able to do both at the same time but that's not always Mm. possible yeah no sure I think it's quite a skilled job isn't it really to Obviously, we had to kind of lean in and use your sort of intuition almost to kind of mm. feel where that person's at and to, yeah, get that kind of balance really of how much you're needing kind of people to step in and mm-hmm. perhaps be a little more helpfully controlling, but then also mm. allowing the breathing space for that person to take responsibility for their recovery and step forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I think it comes at different points in the treatment, depending on that, that person. Yeah. No, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not set in stone, is it? I guess, you know, on someone's journey, they're going to be in very different places as they as mm. they move along. So, Chloe, as well, do you see people with anorexia, with bulimia, with binge eating disorder, OSFED? Do you see like people across the range of eating disorders? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I work across the whole kind of range. I mean, I guess the, the majority of what I'm seeing is is kind of anorexia. And I think, I mean, we all have kind of felt the impact of, of kind of lockdown and, and the epidemic really of eating disorders that that's created. Yeah, for kind of so many people and for lots of different reasons. So I am seeing quite a lot of kind of anorexia at the moment, but I do work with bulimia and binge eating disorder as well. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And I mean, I know it's just something that's talked, been talked about a lot, isn't it? There's just massive increase in eating disorders and mental health conditions in mm. general. I guess I'd just be interested, like, what's sort of your take on this sort of massive increase in eating disorders, particularly like in young people? I guess, I mean, lots of the kind of young people that I work with, they've kind of, they've kind of gone from going to school to being kind of completely cut off from their friends mm. and, and being in lockdown. And that's been difficult doing homeschooling, which has been difficult, caused lots of conflict at home quite often because nobody's doing what they want to do and everybody's very stressed. Mm. I have kind of, yeah, and again, kind of on top of that, feeling really isolated um, and separated from their friendship groups often spending lots more time on social media and looking at what everyone else is doing and how they're looking and feeling that they're not kind of managing or they don't look the same and actually Mm. then that kind of belief of well maybe if I looked like that then my life might be better and on top of that I guess the age range I tend to see is that anxiety and that pressure about GCSE and A-level results and what's going on there and are they happening are they not happening that isn't the result that I was expecting and so I think that kind of total lack of control in so many aspects of their lives and Mm. making people feel really quite low and quite down and I think and therefore kind of turning to kind of restricting their eating as a way of managing that and that kind of almost belief of well maybe if I looked a different way then things would be better for me and I guess a lot of the work that I'm doing is kind of unpicking that belief that actually these are all situations that you had no control over and yeah so that's kind of I I mean yeah I'd be I don't know what you're kind of seeing in, in kind of adults but that's certainly kind of feeling like the kind of so many pressures and that isolation and kind of being you know in school out of school in school out of school Mm. experience yeah no I I think I think very similar very similar I think and yeah it's just it's such a loss isn't it of all the just the healthier kind of coping strategies really in terms of being able to yeah see your friends or just engage in meaningful hobbies or just kind of get out of the four walls all those things that are just so important aren't they for our sanity hopefully we are on the way out of the pandemic it's going to be a bumpy old road isn't it I think yeah yeah so Chloe with the family-based therapy as well obviously it sounds like a really important and necessary part of that treatment is you know focusing on the eating and the parents Mm. taking control of that etc etc does that involve as well that family-based therapy does that involve kind of looking a bit at family dynamics and the more sort of psychological side of things too is that sort of incorporated as part of it a bit but not to the same extent as family therapy so yeah. you would be kind of looking at things like dynamics at mealtimes, what's happening at mealtime. And as part of it, there you do like a, a family meal where the family will bring along a meal and you would observe them and look at kind of what's happening at mealtimes and thinking about how you can support the parents and the siblings to support the young person to eat at mealtimes. But it wouldn't be looking at kind of some of the more in-depth dynamics that you'd be thinking about in terms of family therapy. Mm-hmm, sure. And what are some of the kind of common issues that families come up against at meal times? I guess, like when you have to do that meal that you're talking about, because I guess I'm thinking, you know, I'm a parent myself and, you know, it's extremely distressing and difficult to cope with, isn't it? If your child yeah. isn't eating and you can get drawn yeah. in probably to all kinds of unhelpful ways of managing that. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, I think that's pretty much it. And, and kind of and kind of the screaming and the shouting and the throwing the food around, which does happen sometimes. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a lot of kind of what you're seeing. So you're thinking about, okay, well, how, how can we support you to calm this situation down? How can we support you to kind of encourage the young person to to eat that meal mm-hmm. and and quite often it's things that because we would want to get siblings involved and it's about how you know siblings can act as a good distraction at meal times how it's really important everybody's sitting down to eat together and eat the same thing and yeah and I'm kind of thinking about kind of that dynamic between the parents and, and the young person and how they can sort of calmly manage Mm. the situation so the food gets eaten and, and doesn't end up being flung across the room sure I can imagine yeah that's extremely challenging at times <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> so another thing Chloe I'm curious about is I think you know I've got a teenager myself and you know I think just sort of noticing her and her friends I think what's sadly just been so evident to me and I, th- I think I just thought that she'd be protected by having <laughs> me doing my job but no and that's probably a bit arrogant to think that you know because I'm obviously only one influence in that her world and lots of other people are very very important and that's how it should be but I'm just thinking as well I can see you know it's almost just become and it it has been for many years like a kind of normal thing that teenagers dabble in dieting for a bit and you know and it's sad that it has to be that way but I think you know Mm. just sort of observing I kind of think it's almost I've kind of seeing my own daughter going through it a little bit I can almost see that some of it is almost a bit like the way they might experiment with alcohol or just you know just trying out different things really just to become more autonomous gain their independence just you know develop their own world view which in a way is very necessary but I Mm. suppose the challenge is, and I'm not speaking personally here, but I'm thinking of people that I've spoken to recently is almost knowing when to intervene, you know, sometimes mm. because of, I guess it's a balance, isn't it? Like sometimes it could be really unhelpful to sort of sweep in and start mm. talking about eating disorder or something when someone is mm. is literally kind of going through a bit of a phase or dabbling. But then obviously, as well as a parent, you don't want to miss out on and miss those really like important cues where you could have got help earlier. So, Mm. yeah, I just wanted to make your thoughts on that. I guess, I mean, I would always say it's not necessarily about focusing on on kind of eating, the eating disorder, but talking to them about what normal eating is Mm. and, and kind of maybe why the diets might not work and why do they think they need to be on a diet and kind of actually this is what normal eating is. This is what healthy eating looks like. It's not, you know, the cabbage soup diet or whatever it is that, that mm. they're choosing to do. I mean, I see a lot of a lot of what I see is quite often and um, people going vegan and it going quite extreme. Mm. And so kind of thinking about about that with them and, and kind of, OK, well, if you're going to do it, then this is how we're going to do it properly. And but why I think is. Yeah. And I mean, I guess. Yeah, I think it would be sort of trying to discourage them, but doing it with giving them the information about kind of what normal eating is, healthy eating, talking about intuitive eating, trying to kind of talk about to them about kind of maybe more the anti-diet kind of to use the buzzword kind of idea of things as opposed to focusing in on the eating disorder. I think as a kind of preventative thing, I think 
when you start to notice that they're skipping meals, starting to get quite obsessive about what they're eating, if you start to notice they're losing weight quite quickly, obsessing about the scales. I mean, I would always just say, just don't have scales in your house. But yeah, no, I agree 100%. <laughs> but kind of thing, things like that, noticing what they're, they're kind of doing. If you're, if you're worried, I think if it kind of keeps going as well, it lasts longer than a few weeks and I think that's when it, it starts to, to kind of get worrying but certainly I'd say just if you're a bit concerned start just talking more about kind of normalizing what normal eating is and why actually diets often aren't a good idea why they tend not to work very well mm. and kind of going down that route rather than panicking about having an eating disorder mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I think it's really, really helpful, actually. Yeah, isn't it? It's just sort of that sort of helpful kind of education. And yeah, rather than perhaps sort of even sowing seeds for kind of ideas that could be mm. potentially not so helpful. I think but, as well, like I often see kids and when I start working with them, they don't actually know what normal eating is. Yeah. And they think actually everybody has oatcakes for lunch. Mm. so kind of starting to just sort of say actually no that's not normal is is a good way of kind of just nipping things in the bud I think yeah yeah no sure no that's really really helpful and I think what's interesting as well isn't it I think what's really positive in schools is there's a lot more conversation now about mental health and you know I can tell Mm. some things my children come back talking about about kind of self-esteem dealing with emotions and everything I think around food, it does still seem to be a bit kind of like healthy, unhealthy, sugar is bad, kind of a bit more fear mongering about becoming overweight. I think the schools are lagging behind perhaps in that part. Would you agree from? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, I've had I've had kids kind of a comment will be made at school and that's just kind of planted something in their head about kind of having too much sugar will make you diabetic or eating that's going to make you really fat and kind of having done that healthy eating stuff at school and I think yeah I think you're right in terms of I think that's really unhelpful because what we don't want is to be labeling foods good foods and bad foods because you're more likely to restrict the bad foods and then find yourself binging on them Mm. and and kind of creating a problem that way. Mm. Yeah, no, so true. Okay. Really interesting though, Chloe, just to hear more about your work in eating disorders and with children and adolescents. So I guess the other thing I wanted to talk to you about is a bit more about your running psychologist account on Instagram. And can you just say a little bit more about kind of what's you know what made you decide to set that up and yeah is that motivation behind it yeah it's quite different from my day job yeah so I guess oh so I guess I I sort of set it up when my daughter was about eight nine months old because I just I felt that kind of having that conversation about motherhood mental health and kind of running was quite important I kind of set it up partly as a kind of this is my kind of postpartum running journey type thing but also kind of the idea of weaving in stuff about kind of mental health and motherhood and just normalizing so many things I think I mean there's lots of stuff about mental health on Instagram and I think you could go away with giving yourself all sorts of diagnoses at the end of it and I also think that there's definitely this kind of view of 
being the perfect mother and this is what you should be doing when I know as a professional working with children and working in mental health that actually lots of these things aren't normal children don't come out the uterus using cutlery and sleep through the night from birth and I think I just felt actually I just needed to to say my piece really on on that (laughs) in that space and I think there are so many I mean I guess if we talk about the body image side of things I think so many the majority of women have got lots of hang-ups about body image have been on every diet going that doesn't mean that they have an eating disorder but that doesn't mean that things they they can't think about themselves a bit differently and think about things in a different way to feel a bit better about themselves Mm -hmm. and I guess I kind of just wanted to maybe talk a bit about that sort of side of things and so you don't really need a label and kind of maybe normalize the feelings but also have a think about maybe how things could be a bit different yeah and I guess the kind of running side of things as well in terms of not everybody is able to give birth and run a marathon three weeks later (laughs) so just yeah and these things are really hard and I think just I mean my experience was kind of looking at on on social media and, and kind of reading you know runner's world like the cool kid that I am when I was pregnant and kind of seeing lots of images of people running while they're pregnant and doing all the buggy running and all the rest of it, which is really great. But I think it also mm-hmm. adds a lot of pressure to, to kind of feel that actually you should be able to do that too. Like, you know, and mm-hmm. she can do it. Why can't I? And I guess I kind of from that felt that I really wanted to kind of normalize. Actually, this is hard. And if you can, that's amazing. You're really lucky. And if you can't, then actually that's okay too. And, Mm. life changes when you have a child your body changes when you have a child and you have to learn how to to kind of work with that and find your own path in a way so yeah that's kind of where my Instagram came from it's kind of evolved I think since then but Mm. yeah it's so helpful isn't it because I think yeah like before you get pregnant and have a baby like you know you can't really even imagine what that's like the positives and the negatives from that yeah, I think there is so much pressure, isn't there, to almost like ping back to your pre-pregnancy body and to be mm. kind of out there in the world, kind of doing it all straight away. And yep. it's just not realistic, is it? No, trust me, I tried. It is not realistic. <laughs> <laughs> and were you saying as well, Chloe, that quite a lot of people perhaps feel as well reluctant to get into exercise because of they feel like they're not fit enough or they're not going to look right or so maybe they are almost perhaps denying themselves the benefits of exercise and the benefits for their mental health without realizing it yeah yeah I mean I think sort of I think I read a statistic somewhere and I wish I'd googled it before I came on the podcast but I think about 85% or something of women once they finish uni they don't really do any sport anymore and then become very sort of self-conscious of how they look and I see lots of posts about kind of a well and I'm kind of talking to friends and things I guess from that point of view of, of kind of like well I don't want to put on the kit because you know I feel really awkward in it and I don't want to kind of people will know that I've never run before they'll laugh at me and I mean I guess in a way I can kind of relate to that as well I mean I started running when I was doing my doctorate just because I felt I needed to do something and I 
ran around the graveyard across the road from where I lived because then nobody would be able to see me because I was really worried that I looked a prat, I wasn't wearing the right kit and everybody was going to laugh at me. And I don't think that that's, that's a unique mm. story. And I think it's kind of really important to say, actually, look, do you know what? This is where I started. I didn't start running 20 minute 5Ks. In fact, I still can't run a 20 minute 5K. That because there is that worry about that judgment. And I think the difficult thing is, is you do see things online in running communities where people are like, oh my God, I saw this person out running and you can't believe what they were wearing which then mm. makes it really hard to kind of challenge that as well. You know that that judgment's out there. And I guess kind of part of my thinking around the Instagram is just to kind of try and normalise, actually, we all have to start somewhere. Please don't be afraid to start because actually there are so many benefits from exercise, whatever mm. it is. It does make you feel so much better. But I do get that anxiety that it's really hard to get out there and, and do it. Yeah, no, sure. It sounds like, you know, your posts offer people a lot of encouragement, really, perhaps and a bit of permission to just get out there and not have to do it perfectly, just to kind of give mm. it a go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, nobody's expecting you to, you know, crack out a world record winning marathon <laughs> the first time you go. Yeah, no, so true. And Chloe, do you get much engagement on your account with perhaps people who struggle with overactivity where you know they find it very hard to moderate their exercise and it's become quite compulsive a little bit I'm not sure how much it's something that people would openly admit to yeah but I certainly it's certainly something that I'm aware of it's certainly something that I have seen kind of posts about and I've written a few posts about in terms of, of thinking about that because I think it's I mean, it's the same with an eating disorder, isn't it? It, You can kind of have that drive to change your body shape and and kind of if you just keep exercising, then maybe it'll make everything better. And often it doesn't. It makes things worse. It can kind of cause injury. I do think, and I guess another kind of thing I do think about with the account is that runners or, I mean, probably athletes in general, but kind of runners, you get very focused on stats, on trying to run faster, on trying to beat your last time. And I think Mm. there's such, there is a kind of a bit of a kind of feel that even if you're ill, even if you're injured, even if you ran a race yesterday, that you should still be out there and still training. And that's the sort of thing that very much gets praised on social media, which then leads to burnout. And again, I mean, I've been there, I've done it, that's bought the T-shirt in terms of overtraining, ending up totally burnt out and exhausted. But I think it's something that's very easily done, especially Mm. if you've got those kind of perfectionism traits. Yeah, I guess it's a slippery slope sometimes, isn't it? Because it's quite a fine line between perhaps where you're feeling like you're completely nailing it and loving your exercise to when you can go into just push it a bit too hard and go into a zone where it's not like that at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. And and almost kind of you lose control, it's controlling you and that yeah, I mean, people can feel that anxiety of I've not done my training today. I've not done a run today. I mean, I've got a broken leg, but I've not run today. And it can make them feel really anxious. And again, it's something I I see quite a lot of in some of the adult work I do is this kind of, I have to do this many workouts. If I don't do this many workouts, then everything's going to go wrong. And that kind of very much kind of compulsive 
drive even though actually you're not really doing yourself any good mm, sure so Chloe what would you say as well what are the sort of first steps to beginning to kind of get your way out of that for anyone who's listening who recognizes themselves in that place I guess kind of the first question I'd always get you to ask yourself is if I didn't run today or do my workout today what is going to happen and if that really makes you panic and start kind of going down a kind of negative thought spiral if you really feel that you can't do it then maybe that might be sort of suggestive that there might be a bit of a problem yeah if lying on the sofa and watching the real housewives of beverly hills rather than going for a run makes you feel really really anxious and really stressed then then i i guess i would suggest that maybe that's that's a point where actually an alarm bell should be kind of going off and and this isn't okay and sometimes sometimes it's as easy as just kind of breaking that cycle by having a go at not not running okay well I'll, i'll sit with that anxiety and i won't run today and then i'll see how i feel but I think sometimes it can kind of become a bit more of an issue and it's worth kind of going to your GP and, and sort of seeking help. And I think, I mean, I guess the other thing as well is you'd be asking questions about your eating as well. And is there that anxiety that if you don't go out and do that run, then you can't eat and you've got a kind of bigger kind of cycle kind of going on on there. And also, I mean, I think if you're getting injured all the time, then I'd be asking yourself the question of maybe you're doing a little bit too much. Mm. It's so helpful, I think, for you to talk about those things, because I think in our culture, almost like over-exercise can be very praised, can't it? And like, yeah, you know, you can't almost do too much exercise. It can feel like, yeah. So it's really just helpful just to flag those points, actually, that they should be kind of like little warning bells, really, and not to ignore them. Yeah. If you, yeah, I mean, if you're not enjoying it anymore, then ask yourself why you're doing it. Mm, yeah, no, I think that's such a key, isn't it? Because you want exercise on the whole not to feel like a great big should, do you? You know, you want to be kind yeah, of yeah. getting enjoyment from it. And when it becomes, I can think of some of the people that I've worked with that struggle with compulsive exercise, it almost just becomes this awful thing that you have to endure every day rather yeah. than a pleasure anymore. Yeah. yeah yeah and you just end up feeling exhausted and it's not fun and just feeling really really awful so yeah definitely mm. something to think about and Chloe what would you say what would you say as well like in terms of like people just improving their body image generally like what are a sort of couple of tips that you sort of use with your clients to help boost body image I guess so I mean I guess one of the because th- I, I, I quite often work with these days work with people who are into sport and and kind of athletes on some level and one of the things that often comes up is I don't look sporty enough and the question that I will often get people to ask themselves is actually when you look around when you're in the gym when you're sort of at the start line of a race what do you see mm-hmm. and, and undoubtedly you will see people of all kind of body types and some of them will be doing really quite well and going quite fast or quite strong and so helping people to think about actually looking a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that you're good at sport or or kind of 
very athletic so I guess kind of that would be one of the things I'd be thinking about and I guess it's about kind of thinking about yeah I mean and also kind of things like thinking about the clothes that you're wearing and wearing clothes that you fit you and that are flattering to you and and kind of rather than trying to squeeze into clothes that don't fit you anymore because you feel you should be a certain size and also getting rid of all the clothes that don't fit you anymore because having lots of clothes that don't fit you any, anymore in your wardrobe makes you feel miserable mm. <laughs> when all you've got when you've kind of got all you've kind of got are some leggings and some baggy jumpers and everything else is too small I think it's yeah. about kind of making sure that you're wearing things that you feel good in because actually when you feel good in the clothes and you feel better about yourself and just trying sort of I know it's really hard but trying not to compare yourself to other people and how they look and yeah. focusing more on kind of what your body can do rather than how it looks because actually mm. your body's probably quite strong and it's probably done a lot of things mm. probably some very general <laughs> things to think about yeah I think just I think really helpful tips you know really great takeaways for people there and I think what's really interesting actually as well your first point in terms of like people thinking they don't look sporty or healthy enough or or, Mm. you know sporty enough I think you're saying but I'm thinking as well um just thinking another podcast I was speaking on this morning someone in the fitness industry sort of saying as well the pressure that even like fitness trainers feel to look a certain way but then actually that often doesn't equate with them being in their best physical sort of you know form in terms of their strengths their endurance and everything else and I think it is really remembering isn't it that actually being sporty actually it doesn't really have a look and often if you are like incredibly lean and having all the muscle definition it doesn't necessarily equate with your performance being really good. And I think those things have got quite mixed up, haven't they, in our culture? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I guess, yeah, I mean, I, I've kind of, I've seen some things going around the internet um, suggesting that you've got a personal training, you should ask them what their body fat percentage is. Mm-hmm. And you're a bit like, well, actually, what's that got to do with how good of a personal trainer somebody is? And you could be incredibly strong and incredibly fit and not have a really small body fat percentage because that's not how your body's built yeah absolutely Um, but I can go on a rant about that for weeks (laughs) yeah no we'll continue to do it on Instagram Chloe because I think it's needed you know people need to hear those conversations don't they because it's you know because I think it's a reality and that actually you know, for some people, I'm not saying this is true for everybody, but for some people to maintain a really low level of body fat, they've probably got to have an eating disorder to do that. And I'm not saying that's yeah. true for everybody, but, you know, it, it's definitely a slightly crazy way to, cho- to choose someone you're going to work with, isn't it? That How much body fat they have. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, I think it's the same with kind of runners and that belief that you have to be really slim in order to be a good runner, because I'm quite a slim person. And I can guarantee that most people will be overtaking me who are much bigger than me. So I don't think body type mm. and body shape has got a lot to do with how fast you can run. Yeah. No, sure. No, really helpful to sort of raise those points. So, yeah. Chloe, where can people find you if they want to find out more about the work that you do? So, you can find me. So, my website is www.marathonpsychology.com, and that's more about kind of, I guess, the professional 
work that I do, the grown-up stuff. And then you can find me on Instagram at, at the dot running dot psychologist. And that's more about kind of the running and mental health and kind of body image side of things that I post on there. Okay. And the fun stuff. Sure. Okay. No, lovely. Well, thank you for sharing those, Chloe. So I'd just like to say, you know, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today because it's been such an interesting conversation, you know, to hear more about your work, eating disorders with children and adolescents, and then also Mm -hmm. just to hear more about your running psychologist account and some of the different Mm -hmm. issues that you're discussing there. You know, really appreciate your input. No worries. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Chloe's details in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. Just to let you know as well, I have a couple of training days coming up in the autumn. This is for counsellors or other mental health professionals who would like to improve their knowledge and understanding about eating disorders. So I have one on eating disorders on Saturday the 25th of September and one on body image on Saturday the 16th of October. So if you would like to enrol on either of those, if you could email me at harriet.frew at gmail.com and I will send you some more information. I'm also going to be starting to take on some individual clients and for work in my programs that I'm setting up and this will be like a 10-week program and also a 20-week program. These programs will be a chance to work with me individually but there will also be live Q&As if you want to join those, a Facebook group as well which is optional. You'll also get modules, training modules to support all the work that you're doing with me and I'm also going to give you access to my online course. So lots of goodies in there. Again, if you're interested in that, please do send me an email, harriet.frew at gmail.com. Okay, if you're enjoying this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you would subscribe, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. And the podcast is doing super well due to your support in the mental health charts on Apple. And we have been oscillating between, I think the top position has been about 34 but we've generally been in the top 100 and probably more around the kind of 50 to 80 kind of mark. So yeah, do keep listening and leaving your comments and feedback really helps it reach so many more people. So thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm -hmm.